Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. 
Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hello and welcome along to 101 Part-Time Jobs. I'm Giles Bitter and it's my job to speak to bands, musicians and artists about how they survive doing what they do in a time where doing that full time is probably at its hardest than it's ever been. I'm so excited to welcome Justin Courtney Pierre to the show. Of course, singer in Motion City Soundtrack, also of his own full name. He's about to release his new EP, An Anthropologist on Mars, this Friday. This is Dying to Know Behind This Track is an absolute tune. Tony Thaxton plays drums on it and Brett Guritz produced it. That's enough spoilers for now, though. I hope you enjoy the episode. If you do, feel free to leave a review. Let a friend know that it's up. Thank you for listening. Signature Brew is the official beer of 101 part-time jobs. If you live in the UK, you can get beers delivered directly to your house. And with the voucher code 101PODCAST, all capital letters, you can get 10% off. Without further ado, this is Justin Courtney Pierre of himself and, of course, Motion City Soundtrack, Farewell Continental, Filmmaking, and lots more. Go well. Cheers! I think I've all, like I, you know, I sort of look to Tom Waits as sort of the, the high watermark of, of artistry. And even if I, like, I don't, it's hard because sometimes you play his songs for people who've never heard him and they just go, what is this? But... I don't have that anymore, even if I did at the beginning. I'm not sure. The point being that there's so much stuff that I like that kind of doesn't fit or didn't fit with Motion City. I think there were moments and in, in, in phases. Like, I mean, uh, most of the stuff I listened to, my wife would kind of call noise. I don't think of it that that, you know, that way, but like, you know, everything from like the Boo Radleys, Flaming Lips, those first couple Mercury Rev records with uh, David yeah. Baker. And and like just I just love the sound of like your ears kind of hurting for a minute and then not or like those early Jesus Mary chain. I, I mean, most of Jesus Mary chain, um, but just like oh, that, just like a lot of guitars. Like I love guitars. I like that that range um, of stuff. And so a lot of that doesn't fit into Motion City. But like if you listen to a song like. Every, every, everything is all right. There's just this little like weird guitar part thing that just sticks out more than everything else in the song. And that that's like me. That's like the stuff that I really like. Um, and, and that's not to say that I don't like what Motion City did. It was just like, you've got five guys with totally different interests all coming together. And it, and it made something, I don't even know what it is, but people seem to like it or did or, you know, parts of it. And I think over time, you know, sorry, I'm just rambling now, but no, I like love my it. Friend, my friend Tommy and I started doing something because I was, I think we were making, even if it kills me. And then I was just like, I just felt this insane pressure, which I think now is totally not, it was made up, but mm. to like be catchy and poppy and like write really good words that people could connect to. And so I wanted to do something the opposite of that, which there was no thought put into it. And that became Farewell Continental. And it was like the, it, it was this sort of like, I'm, this all will make sense if you give me two hours, but I'm with you. I'm strapped uh, in. Okay. 
but uh and so farewell continental was born out of this idea of just like the sounds of the words almost being more or as important as the words themselves and they just kind of flew out of me intuitively and then it was only like later i'm like i think this is what it means i think that's what that means oh this is interesting if i switch this word and that word then we got ah this is what it's about and that was like right before my dinosaur life. And then when we went to record my dinosaur life, like I know specifically I started bringing a lot of that stuff and I don't know if it was confidence or what, but I started bringing some of that stuff in a lot more of the weird noodly soloy guitar playing. I mean, not, there's not a ton of that, but there's, I think uh delir delir delirium. I can't remember my own titles. Delirium. Uh, there's this like hammer on pull off like thing like, right. Um, a little bit of that and then also the the lyrical content i think um gosh what song it was like uh disappear the weekends and i think pulp fiction there might have been another one but but those songs specifically were like this combination of like the farewell continental way and the motion city soundtrack way put together mm -hmm. where it's still telling something specific but it's a little more archaic in how it's presented I, when I was younger, I, I don't know what I was doing. I was just saying words. Here are my feelings. There they are. Deal with it. And then, and then I kind of changed into the sort of like, oh, I got to pay attention to what I'm doing because people are saying things to me and they're saying that this means this and this means that. And, and then I started getting away from that and just <clears throat> focusing on what I thought things meant, whether people understood them or not. And then you get to 2016 and then I just felt like I want to do something. <laughs> I, I wanted to do some things that were a little bit more outrageous than motion city soundtrack. And I, I feel like I didn't exactly like I'm, I'm I'll get there maybe in 10 or 20 years, but uh, it's like, I've been doing a certain thing and I just, in order to break away from it, I need to do it a little bit at a time. I'm, I'm a very, like, I don't like change. Uh, well, I should say it, it's hard for me. Mm. Um, mm. But yeah, sorry, sorry. I tend to ramble a lot. No, too. I love it. I love it. No, I've read did, enough. Did that even answer your question or explain? Yeah, anything? kind no. of. I mean, I mean, okay. that's the that's the thing about these chats is that I think the element of um, survival, which is what this show's about. You know, I think you put you hit about like three or four major points in there. You know, the the mm. the, the last one you said being, you know, you, you want to do this in in twenty odd years. You know, so so somewhere in your brain. That, that you're actually thinking about that stuff that you're thinking about your own personal journey and you know another thing that you said there you have this idea when you're surrounded by other people like emotion city then you have to make it like a, a a group effort so having that confidence and 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 knowing who you are do you do you think that you will do something and then kind of be able to define it look looking back on it later on is that the way you work oh yeah we Way easier, yes. And I also do think that most most of the people who listen to you and who are fans of you or your work, like enjoy your work, they have a better definition, even if they all have different ones, but they there's like a an overlap, like a Venn diagram of sorts. Mm, yeah. And I think that that, that like, it, it's so weird. Like, I think I was, I was telling my wife this because I've got, you know, I've got a lot of problems, but uh, I I've learned a lot very slowly over time from communicating with people who have written to me and have sort of told me their stories and, and, and what our music, what motion city's music has done for them. And they often relate it to me specifically. 
and in the early days, it was kind of like, oh, I have OCD too, or I have anxiety too. And I've kind of talked about this. And I always said like, what, what do you mean too? Like, I didn't understand. It's so messed up. Like, like I really don't think about things as much as people might think that I do. Mm -hmm. And I've learned that maybe I have been intuitively writing all along. I just didn't realize it. And so like my wife pointed out that like musical therapy is an actual thing. And I, I think I've been doing it. Like that's how I've, I've been articulating my neuroses and, and such is just through the music. And I know I should, I should, I should, have, I should know this, but I, I think it's important to say it out loud that, you know, I, I don't know what I'm doing mm. and that's, and that's fine. That's okay. Like I don't need to be cool and I don't need to, seem like I do um I, I think it would be a lot cooler if I did but it's it, yeah I don't know I kind of got lost there in that from a fan's point of view I don't think it makes a difference if you know what you're doing or if you don't know yeah. what you're doing and that's the point I guess I'm trying to make is you like know, I think do you think some of our favorite records do you think pavement knew what they were doing I mean I don't think they did I think no but I do know, or at least I've read, have you read a lot of books about pavement? No. I, I can't remember. There was one book, uh, or no, maybe it was that, like the 33 and a third series. But th there was something, to, they were talking about how Stephen Malkmus would just show up and riff in the studio. And, and half of the lyrics, I, I don't know if it was from the beginning to the end of their mm -hmm. you know career, but like half of the lyrics would just be made up on the spot, which totally explains some of those lyrical gems that are in there. Uh, and Did you I do wish that could... in early Motion City soundtrack? No, but I, 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 t I, I have more of a clinical approach where I will, oh shit, I just did it today. Um, uh, I was just, I'm trying to write songs and, and demo and such. And, and like, I've got a vague idea for, I'm just trying new things out here, but I had a vague idea for a melody, but I wasn't sure if it was right. And so I, I did like four different takes of just nonsensical words. And then I found my favorite bits of melody and I chopped them up and put them in an order. And then I also wrote out what I thought I was saying for each line. It took forever. And then I found a few bits of words. And, and so it's almost like this weird William S. Burroughs, like, cut it up and reorganize it. But then I will then go and like find the story and the arc and the thing. And then I will go. There's, there's more thought to it than just chopping it up and leaving it as it is. I really so, believe um, in that subconscious thing. You know? Yeah. I've been digging into it the last couple of years, especially, I mean, especially since 2016. But. I think I, I often think about it. If I'm talking to, you know, a best friend or my partner or, your family member, you don't think about what you're going to say. I think for me, I have to think about it sometimes because I have a tendency to say the wrong thing. And so for me, I've been, I've been focusing more on like listening and then waiting a beat and then responding instead of listening. And then just as soon as the last word comes out, blah, 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 yeah. You know, um, habits, habits, right? Oh God, they're the worst. Hard to break. You know, was it a kind of emotional break for you? writing other stuff that you felt like you could go a bit more wild or be a bit more Jesus, Mary Cheney, or, you know, be a bit louder and be yourself. Because I mean, I said this at the start of the conversation, but I think an anthropologist on Mars, it sounds like, uh, is the best you, 
to me and i'm a huge fan oh well thank you i was wondering whether to tell you this or not before but you know I, i've been listening to your records like you know going to bed at night for for a long time i'm so sorry for your brain <laughs> it does just make me think you know that pressure of being a few albums in and people you know like you said earlier people telling you what things are how that can kind of you know not that that's a bad thing but you can see how it how it cramps anyone up yeah i think i think listening to anything too much whether it's negative stuff positive stuff ideas from other people ideas from just yourself i think when you focus too much on one thing it tends to get lopsided in whatever direction that is mm. and so to find a balance shit as i'm saying this i'm like oh, i wish i could put this into um put this to work in like real life uh, <laughs> instead of just art but uh yeah i think just finding a balance of of listening to everything a little bit i think that would be i think that would be good i don't know if i do it but i think i'm getting there you're a musician full time does it does it feel like that as in like do, do you look at yourself like as like a as a composer, as, as a musician? or Yeah, I, I think growing up, listening to the bands that I did in the late 80s and the early 90s, there was an aesthetic about them. Even if I didn't know what that word meant, they just seemed like they threw whatever clothes on that they had around them and they were not cool and that made them cool. And I don't know, maybe it's a Gen X thing, but it there was, you know, like, well, shit, when I... It, I don't do a lot of preparation, but I listened to two episodes of yours... And I believe, let's see, it was Matt Sharp and Thurston Moore. So that kind of tells you like who I was into. Yeah. And I thought, yeah. I thought like Sonic Youth was the coolest band ever. And they just, and sh I mean, look at me, I'm wearing, well, you can't see it, but you know, I'm wearing the same, just like a button up shirt and jeans I haven't washed in two weeks. Don't tell anyone. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if that's, I don't even know if that's what you asked me. Yeah. But... Cause I, I just interviewed Raymond from teenage fan club, one of my favorite bands. Okay. And they talked a lot. They, you know, he was, he said, you know, it's funny. A lot of these bands like Sonic youth or, you know, getting signed in the nineties to major labels. They, 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 they dressed like they didn't care, you know, whatever that means. Yeah. Um, no, that's great. And I, I, I you know what? I, I kind of like, I was, I was just thinking of things that I could mention, but it, it's so interesting that like, Sonic, like I, I have a Sonic Youth when they were around as Sonic Youth and Motion City, we shared a lawyer, and so that and that and that was part of our. His name was Richard Grable, and and that was part of our sort of connection. So it was just like, oh my god, this is so cool. And then Richard Grable would tell us these stories, and I have one that I I might I don't know if I should be telling this, but I I'm gonna bastardize it. Um, I'm gonna mess it up. Let me say that. Uh, but it was uh, impossible. Because I was, I was listening to the Thurston Moore episode, and it was interesting to hear him talk about Nirvana. And I don't know that he said it this... Wait, no, that, that wasn't... Sorry. I, I wrote down a bunch of things that I... Just in case we were talking about. But um, the Richard uh, Grable connection, um, I believed he... Like, he worked with a lot of our favorite bands, like Jawbox and Sonic Youth and um, mm -hmm. a lot of the weird weird kind of punk stuff. And um, he was... I think, I think he was out with Sonic Youth celebrating, you know, signing to... <laughs> signing to DGC and I think David Geffen was there or something. And um, I think David Geffen asked them like, so what bands are you into? What's a cool band these days? And then they're like, Oh, you got to check out this band Nirvana. And so he like wrote it down on a little napkin and put it in his pocket. And then, you know, two years later, Nevermind came out on DGC. Uh, I thought that was a cool story. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. 
that's what this show's about anecdotes i mean how how many do you have any stories i mean take me through when i mean obviously the columbia thing happened but but for me i wonder if more of like a crazier thing for you uh was epitaph i mean when yeah. you met epitaph and and you know the first you know i am the movie was yeah, was in the works i mean i feel like we've you know most of this can be found somewhere and i i i'm just i you know, if you want to know specifics and real things that happened when they happened, Josh Kane is the better person to talk to. Because <laughs> I, it wasn't until like the third or fourth record that I decided, oh, you know what, I'm a musician. And until then, I was still trying to be a filmmaker. And I was kind of doing the music thing for fun. Um, and, and I think it infuriated them because I would say like, yeah, I could take it or leave it. I don't know, whatever. Um, but, and I get that that attitude was, I, I didn't mean it to be so was it blase whatever yeah. but like i just I, it was just how i felt like I, I i really did want to make movies um and i just felt like a failure because i couldn't figure out how to do that uh but well, i wow. do know that when we i'm trying to think i believe it was okay so epitaph like a bunch of things happened at once but epitaph signed a band called matchbook romance and kind of the same thing happened like i think brett asked them what they were listening to and Aaron the drummer said oh you should check out Motion City Soundtrack and at the same time um fucking I can't remember the name of this site but there was a site that would put unsigned bands music up online and one of the and the, the the guy who ran it he liked our band and he put a couple songs up there and I think that's where Brett listened to it and then he yeah and then he called us or he sent a message and, and Josh got it like an email and he was like, he thought it was a joke, but then it turned out it wasn't a joke. And then, yeah. So I think Josh flipped out more. Cause like I knew bad religion songs, but I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't like a, I didn't know their albums. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think yeah. for me, a lot of stuff was like that. Cause I really like, I think, you know, Fugazi was like the first, punk band i listened to but they you know they're how 20 years after or whatever you know that shit started so that's kind of what i thought of as like punk rock music was like fugazi and jawbox and if you ask someone else you'd be like yeah that's like third wave whatever i don't know um did you see making movies as you know we, were you kind of into that kind of the facts that and it, it make a lot of sense you know i am the movie that you know the fact the idea that music would be you know, a part of film, was it always more about imagery for you? It was, it was more about story. It was more about like, for some reason. And, and, and I think this, gosh, this is, it's just, I'm seeing a lot of connections to a lot of different things these days. And I don't know exactly what that means, but when you say imagery it and, and film and like, I, I tend to go with, or go toward, what interests me about movies. And a lot of the time it is, I love these stories where you're watching characters who attempt to do something, but it never happens. And it's like, you spend two hours waiting for something and it just ends sadly. And I don't know what it is about that, but I love that. Like that is the most beautiful thing. It just feels more real. Mm hmm. Whereas I think my wife doesn't, isn't so interested in that. My daughter literally told me the other night, she's like, your stories are the worst because everything like she, she's like, they're so sad. And so she likes to change the endings of my stories that I make up so that they're happy endings. 
Uh, and maybe I shouldn't tell my daughter these like ridiculously horrible stories, but I, I just kind of make them up as I go. And then they just end yeah. badly and people don't do not persevere. Uh, I mean, I can see, I can see totally a connection there between, you know, a record and album, whether there's a resolve, maybe like you say, there's, there's not a, there's not a clear cut resolve just like real life. Yeah. And I, th- you know, and there, there's, there's different styles of things because there's, there's also like, I think the the movie that pe- people often quote is like Sullivan's travels where the guy who makes the happy, funny, goofy movies uh, decides he wants to make a serious movie about it, a serious matter. And, um, and he goes to like live with the people and, and I think he ends up in, I'm kind of ruining the movie, but he ends up in prison and then like, it's miserable. And he, uh, and he looks around and it's like movie night and they watch like this really goofy comedy that is pointless and is the kind of thing that he used to do. And he's looking around and all these people are like laughing and having a good time. And it's the only moment that they have of like solace in their lives. And so, and he realizes that what he was doing actually helped people, even though he, he didn't think he just thought it was garbage and he wanted to do something real and important. And um, I forgot why I started talking about that movie, but that for some, that resonates with me in a way, maybe that's something where I feel like I, I was doing a thing and it was fun, but it was more like the feedback I started getting from people made me feel like what I was doing had, had a little bit of value or had a, like a, it's not, sorry. I, I have this problem of misrepresenting what I'm saying. I think I tend to downplay it. It's not on purpose. It's just maybe ingrained. Uh, Are you talking about your music there? Yeah. I think I just kind of switched over and I just saw this correlation of like, you know, how I used to say, like, I could take it or leave it, whatever. And then it wasn't until the third or fourth record that I considered myself a musician. Yeah. And it was like, I didn't, but like hearing from people kind of made me feel good. You know, not like if somebody reviewed it, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. But if a person tells you a personal story and, and, and connects with something, whatever it is, and it's helpful to them, that has much more meaning. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you're playing a big, you're playing a part of their life of their story. Yeah. And I know how that feels as a person listening to other people's music. Mm. It's weird to be on the, you know, the flip side of that, but that's only because I'm me and I feel the way I feel about what I do. Yeah. But I definitely understand the feeling and I'm, you know, yeah. uh, Learning how to say thank you. Was it hard? Not hard, but it was just weird. You know, it's like, what for Mm. what? Like I, Oh, Oh, okay. You know, but then eventually over time you realize like, Oh shit, this is like, you actually think about what I do the way that I think about what, you know, this person does or that person over there. And once I understood that, it, everything kind of made more sense. Um, yeah, it must have been kind of confusing for those in between years of doing this thing that was obviously going well. You know, those first, when you're a new band doing things for the first time, um, that must have been quite confusing. Well, and also being drunk, a lot of it. And I don't, you know, I don't have a memory of a lot of that time. Oh, a friend, okay. The Matches that band yeah oh yeah incredible and there's a new documentary out uh no directed way. by chelsea christer who is incredible and uh i had we had been you know well whatever we were, we we're gonna try to shoot some music videos for this ep and it just you know timing didn't work so um but we have been talking page oh yeah well i just i love all of it i think i think my favorite is um um uh De- decomposer yeah 
but she made this incredible documentary. I think it took six or some years and it came out and I was part of a film festival panel interviewing them and talking. And I'd, I'd watched the movie like nine, 10, 11 times. And it wow. like, I literally would start crying while watching it. And I didn't realize that what she had captured in that film was a moment of time that I wasn't there for yet. I lived through and I was sort of retroactively um, mourning the loss of not being present. And it was just so beautiful and cathartic. So I owe her a lot uh, in, in terms of the therapy, it, you know, the therapeutic effect it had on me. Uh, but I urge anybody who is into, you know, that, I mean, the matches were like, I still think that they were like the pixies of a different generation. They were so interesting and so weird um, and so catchy. And they just didn't, it just didn't like make it, you know, it just didn't happen for them. Um, for, for, for here, I was a huge fan of that record and I don't remember seeing them headline a show in London. It always seems to be like they were supporting someone. Yeah. Um, I remember we did a show with them. I think we, yeah, we went on tour over there. Uh, you know what? I might, I might see my memory's not great, but I feel like it was <laughs> the matches. Okay. Go and us. No, yeah. no, no, no. Uh, uh, my favorite compilation could be they're a band from here. I feel like they might play some shows with you and them. Oh my god! I but did you, you know, did you tour with them a lot? Did you hang out with them a lot? Um, we did. I believe we did the was it the Epitaph tour, and then there's obviously Warp tour. But those guys were so busy, and they tried so hard, and like I just fucked off and like got drunk, you know. Like so, it there's also a, like a bit of guilt of like how did we do what we did when I was doing everything I could to like not purposefully sabotage it, but just by being myself, it was mm. like it, how could it? Yeah. Anyway, I, I don't know how we did it with me in the band. Um, and that was around the time of commit this to memory. All of it. I mean, all the way through, even before I am the movie, like Josh, I think Josh had hints of like what was going on. Cause he actually, my, my, <laughs> our bands used to play in high school. And so he tried out one night to be our new bass player for the high school band just post high school, I think it was 95 or something. And, uh, and I didn't show up and I basically like OD'd and, <laughs> and had, to, I'm laughing, but it's not funny. Um, but yeah, so like that was his sort of, it, anyway, so then like a year or two later, he calls me up and wants, <laughs> wants me to be in a band with him. So I, I think I'm, I don't know if he knew like how bad I, I was, but it took, yeah. let's see, 97, 97 was when we started playing. And then I think, yeah, around 2000 was the first time I tried to like get my shit together. And then I kept trying. And then over, eventually in 2004, when we recorded Commit This to Memory, that's when I went to LA and like Brett Gerwitz and his uh, then girlfriend, now wife, um, you know, basically took me into their house and like showed me the way uh, to be sober. And it took a few more years and two more, a few more fuck ups. But then in 2010, I still don't know the date. I want to say January 2nd was mm. the last time I had a drink. It's been that, 11 years. The lyrical content on those first two records is a lot about Gnar that. Gnarly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, th I think I was, again, like, I think I was wrestling with this stuff subconsciously or, or I mean, mm. also consciously, but I, I don't know if I knew how much it was, you know, pouring out into the, in, into the music. What was your like personal life like around then? I mean, 
did you, you know, what was your flat like? Who are you living with and, and where were you working? Oh my gosh. I'm trying to think what went pre epitaph or, ep- or the first couple of records. Is that what you yeah, mean? Yeah. First couple of records, but also, also pre epitaph. I think pre epitaph, I was, I don't even, oh my God, I don't, I do remember a house that I was renting a room in and then Tony and Matt, when they joined, they ended up renting a room in the basement and then I left that house. I remember, I remember that. Uh, oh Party house? No, it's, I think the, the owner was like vegan and straight edge and she, you know, but I was like hiding my drinking inside that house. It's very horrible, you know, just like, it's just bad news. I think there was another sober person there too, but I was just, I was just a mess. Yeah. I think I moved there to like get better. Um, right. Right. And uh, yeah, just, I'm sorry, you're asking some questions and I'm just, memory is the, is the difficult thing yeah, for me. I, understand. I do know that like just in the early years of Epitaph, like I found a friend that I used to, you know, do drugs with, and she had recently been sober and was getting her life back together. And so we moved in together and I was like never around. So it was, it was pretty, I think it was good for both of us. Cause we were both for the most part, we were both sober. I mean, I say sober, but it was mostly like none of us were doing hard drugs or anything, but we were drinking occasionally, but it seemed like it was kind of manageable, but it wasn't at least for me. And then, um, and then she moved out and then my sister moved in and I just was never there for the first couple of years. So it, it was really only when I, I went home that I would drink and I drink for like two weeks and then I get on the, in the van or the bus or whatever. And then I'd be sober for a couple, you know, months. You'd be sober back. on tour. Yeah. Tour was easy because I, I had like a, a schedule and like a thing and there was something to do. It was like when I didn't have anything to do, that's when I, I got into trouble. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's really weird. Were you making enough money on those earlier tours to to pay rent and kind of survive? Pre-Epitaph, no. But I think, yeah, once we got on Epitaph, I feel like we were. I mean, I I still had like a, I think, I mean, honestly, it wasn't until, because we signed a a deal with um, Columbia before Even If It Kills Me came out for what would be the next record. So it was like a pre, I forget what they call it, but it was a pre-something deal. And according to legend, it was one of the last pre 360 deals because uh, I think it was, was it Warner Brothers? Some other label uh, was offering us like a, a shitload of money, but they wanted everything. And mm. and with Columbia, it was just the music, just this, you know, mm. so, so that's why we did that. But once that happened, that allowed me to, you know, pay off some debts and, and uh, move into... Uh, <laughs> Move into a condominium with my brother and my sister. It was just like, I mean, we still like, I had like a tiny little room just stuffed with stuff and I just was never there. But yeah, over time it took about, it was like right before the, the market crash in 2006, somewhere around there. And so it took us another 10 years and then we moved out in 2015. My wife and I, um, finally we had broken even. <laughs> I mean, I I suppose, you know, talk about 101 part-time jobs, you know, even figuring out those little, you know, those little balances, keeping things on in check, you know, when, when touring is such a big part of your life, you know, and anyone can see how that can kind of pick you up and spin you around. Well, in, I I do think that like, you know, 
art in any form is what I gravitate toward. And I don't know if I, you know, almost to my detriment, like I don't think about, I did not think about money until my daughter was born. And then I started freaking out. But I will say that despite my so-called problems in quotes, like, you know, I had a pretty great run and I, I had a place to go to, like I had a place to live. I had food, I had all this stuff. And like, yeah, we weren't, you know, giant superstars or anything, but I was doing the thing that I wanted. I'd wanted to be able to pay the bills and make art. And I'm still mm. able to do that. I'm not necessarily paying the bills, but my wife has a great job. So <laughs> I'm just kind of like, you know, a, a, a mediocre stay at home dad at this point. Um, who also gets to make art and uh, and that yeah. truly is thanks to my wife and I should say, and Brett Gerowitz and Epitaph, you know, having them be cool enough to want to put my stuff out, um, you know, and get behind that. That's, I couldn't really ask for anything more, you know? Yeah, totally. And, and royalties presumably are still coming through from something, you know, 15 years ago, right? Yeah. It's not like, you know, I, 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 we're not, how do I say this? Yes. Yes. I should say I don't have access to the exact amounts, but yes, we get a, a check every once in a while, which is a nice little bonus. Um, right. Right. and I do and like, you know, this isn't whatever I, I work for, I used to work for my parents who own an embroidery company and I have like a trade where I, I use this program to create um a language for computers to sew embroidery on things and i've been doing wow. that since i was like 12 off and on and so that's like my sort of part-time my actual part-time job uh but my sister now runs that company and so i just you know do do these things every once in a while the pay is good but the t but there's not a lot of work uh right. and i'm pretty quick yeah, um, I see. so that's that's a nice supplement, but that that was always going on. So I think that allowed me. I should say, yeah, the privilege of having parents who had their own um, little you know embroidery shop uh, allowed me to not sweat as much as the other guys in the band. Um, that's my guess, and maybe that's what even led to the sort of blase take it or leave it thing it's like i was just like yeah this is cool whatever and yeah. maybe the other guys are like fuck you this is come on we got to do this like this is it this is it or nothing you know and uh i'm just now seeing that so thank you this i didn't know this was going to turn into like a therapy session but i appreciate it um, <laughs> happens every the, time sorry yeah, the cost is great too you know thank you <laughs> so that's so cool so you were doing that from when you were you know as young as a teenager preteen i think it was illegal but uh back then i feel like in the 80s no you know People didn't really pay attention to that stuff as much as they do now. Great. Um, but yeah, and my parents didn't abuse me or anything. So, Did you ever have a teenage moment where you were like, fuck you, no, I'm going to work at a bar? No, I didn't. I, you know, the only job I've ever, like the only real job other than like <laughs> golf caddy or dishwasher was, um, and I say real job in that I, I could do neither of those things well and was fired immediately. So that's why I say that. Okay caveat but the only job i held for an extended period of time was working at a a uh, videotape rental store called video update and that was like I, I still to this day that's probably my favorite job i've ever done not dealing with the customers but being able to rent six movies a night having two vcrs and recording everything and i just had this library of of movies and also like there was a guy sorry i'm getting 
in the zone here, but there was a guy, the guy, our boss, we had a couple different bosses, but the main guy had a laser disc player and he would record um, director's commentary. This is before, you know, DVDs came out, but he would record director's commentary films for me and give me those tapes. So I had like seven with David Fincher talking about how he made it. And then like all of these, you know, it was, it was just incredible. And, and getting to see all these movies and like bottle rocket. Oh my God. When bottle rocket came out, that just blew my mind. And then, yeah, I, I don't know. But so, so it was like mid, let's see, it was mid to late nineties. And it was at the same time I was going to film school. Um, yeah. And it was great. And then I met one of my best friends there named Matt Thompson. And he introduced me to art, like cinema, like art house cinema. And I, and I feel like we had this weird relationship where I would show him the benefits of Hollywood every now and then they make a good thing. And he was such a snob. And I think he turned me into a snob. And, uh, <laughs> but yeah, without him, I never would have, you know, discovered, I don't know, a lot of the old school, like Italian, French, just like all these directors from, you know, foreign films, basically. But, I don't um, want to try and make you kind of yeah. sum up or define the kind of the, the, the film work that you did, but you know, how many projects did you have going on? And, you know, were you working with outside entities or anyone who was helping budget it or anything like that? Yeah. I mean, my, my, one of my good friends, his name is Shane Nelson and you can look up his stuff. It's at omnifusion.com, O-M-N-I-fusion.com. But he's, he's pretty much directed or produced everything I've done, directed all the music videos for like uh, I guess the Motion City video he directed was A Lifeless Ordinary with the pool. Um, mm. And then, uh, sorry, I'm trying to think. I lost track. Oh, but all the Farewell Continental videos. I mean, there's like no money. But but he was, I think he was like a professional, um, a professional, I'm trying to think of the name, professional rollerblader for like a very short period of time. And he had a ton of money. Like he was going to be, you know, one of those, one of those guys and then he developed epilepsy and then he couldn't do it because he had like a trigger in his foot and so yeah. he had to switch gears but he was one of those guys that always just like would hold the camera and skate along with people and like film mm. stuff mm. and so he turned that into a you know a thing and that's what he does now and he does like commercials and all this stuff but um back when i first met him we were making art and so we sh we made like i directed four short films that he produced and then a handful of music videos that we either co-directed or he produced and i directed um, I think the best one, we did two music videos for Limbeck from the Let, Let, Let Me Come Home album. Uh, and then there was one for a band called... I think that's really hard to find that album, Let Me Come Home. Yeah, I don't know. Because I think were they I think they were on Doghouse, right? Is Let Me Come Home the kind of more power pop one? No, that's... The, no, 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 no. This is the, the... I guess it's their third one, but they don't really acknowledge the first one, so it's the second one. But right. it was the one they did with Gary Loris and Ed Ackerson. And, Hi, Everything's Great changed my life. Yeah, that album is amazing. But that that was like... They went from, a yeah, the, the power pop punk band to yeah. that. And that was Ed, Ed Rose's... Um, well, I think it was their doing, but Ed Rose, you know, captured that on... on um, not tape, digitally? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then, yeah, it was the next record that they did, Let Me Come Home. And that was the one they did in Minneapolis with uh, Ed Ackerson and Gary Loris of the Jayhawks. Uh, and what was the video? What was the film link there? Sorry. Oh, oh, oh. It was just that I directed two music videos for their that album of theirs. Amazing. Cool. I've directed a handful of music videos, but uh, there's like two or three that I, I like, even though I can't remember anything about them. Uh, <laughs> did you see, you know, Motion City as a way to 
do the film thing as well because you know you can't deny that that's that's going to provide no. you with opportunities i didn't because i don't i didn't like pay attention to anything that was going on i just don't connect dots very well like i'm i like it's just a thing and i'm I'm actually, you know, I've been in therapy since 2016 and, and so many things have come up. So it's, it's been like a grand unraveling um, to the mm. point where I think I'm more of a mess now than I've ever been, but I'm kind of slowly piecing the, putting the pieces back together. Mm. Uh, and I do think that I just wasn't, I was never aware of what was happening when it was happening. It was only much later after the fact. And like, I remember, you know, like I remember I, I met, like Alex Patsavis, who did all of the music for like, uh, I can't remember, but like the Twilight movies and like all, all these TV shows. And she was the reason we got the fell in love acoustic song into not Gilmore Girls, something girls, ah, some TV show about young women and the and that song was in it. And it was huge for us. Um, but I remember like meeting with her and I don't know that I, I think, you know, I don't, I didn't put that together. Like, oh, this is a pathway to another thing. Yeah. I just thought like, oh, here's somebody who does a thing and was asking us to write a song for this specific movie. And I thought, oh, that'd be fun. And then we tried to do that and the director didn't like it. And then we did it again and the, the other director didn't like it. And so we just had these songs that, you know, whatever, but if given the chance now, I think I would, I would look at that differently. And in fact, I do have a few projects that I'm hoping come to fruition. Uh, and one of them is in the TV world, but I don't want to talk about it until it happens or doesn't because <laughs> I don't know. What are they asking for? Let's mm. give them that. Mm. That's not what I, I've ever done. I would always just sort of do what I wanted to do for me. Mm. And I think that there's a, a happy medium where you can both be yourself, but also know what they want and write to that. And I think that's what, that's kind of what I learned in the last few years. And and like listening to people and taking notes. And I think when I was younger, I was like, no, fuck you. My way's better. And this is awesome. And you suck if you don't get it, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. And, and I just think yeah. that that might be a youthful thing yeah. or that's a, you know, in a, a me thing. But I think some people could relate to that. Yeah. I mean, I think that strikes a chord with me, that youthful thing, because, you know, I, I still think, you know, as life goes on and you, you, you have, you know, you have different responsibilities and, you mm. know, I think there's always going to be something youthful about music. There just always will be. There's got to be. Yeah, I think it, uh, something struck. I don't really know how to articulate this, but looking around and realizing that I am much older than I feel, not physically, I feel about my age, maybe even older, but I don't feel mentally as though I am the age I am when compared to how I viewed people of that age when I was younger. Yeah. And my assumption is that everyone feels that way. And does it ever change or does it not change? I don't know. But I do know that when you play music, at least maybe other art is the same way. But when you play music, at least in my experience, uh, I think the word 
thrown around was suspended adolescence. Like you sort of, you, there's things that you just, well, there's things that I did not learn. And some of it was good and some of it was not good. Like someone should know how to do laundry properly. Um, and I just, I still don't have it down. I just kind of stuff everything in there and hope. Um, but I do think having a playful attitude with your five-year-old daughter is a great thing to have come out of that, of just being like, oh, we're doing this now? Okay, I'm a pirate? All right. Hey, let's go outside without any boots on in the snow. Oh my God, it's so cold. That's ridiculous. You know, just whatever it is. It's just like being in the moment and like that sort of thing I feel like is, I've benefited from the youthful suspended adolescence uh, of, of of being in a, a band, you know, and, and touring. Um, I just wish I had learned some of the social and just how to be human a little yeah. more than I have, but that, that, that might not have anything to do with being in a band. That might just be my upbringing and my, the way that I reacted to things. I don't know. When, you know, uh, you toured for many, you know, you, you tour a lot, you know, in the, in the, in the world outside pandemic, I toured for three or four years. And in that time I was, emotionally stunted that routine is can have the ability to to stunt one yeah and i think like do you and um, i apologize if this well i'm just gonna ask it anyway but do yeah. you have a problem with drinking or are you just like a regular regular drinker I can drink? okay so i think i from what i understand like I, I think like you know i think i have bandmates like that who just for whatever reason that that was how they well i don't know if you're saying this but for whatever reason, that was kind of how they dealt when they didn't know how to deal. It was like, well, I'll just get drunk and, mm. and then like start the next day and then do that. But it, it's not like they had a problem, but it was just sort of like an easy way to kind of like settle down or whatever. Um, and I guess I never understood that. For me, it was more about, I don't, for some reason, I don't like myself. So I will drink until I don't feel like myself and then I will be okay. And it wasn't until I figured that out and now I actually like myself or at least more of myself than I did, you know, like 12% as opposed to 2%, but let's not get into it. Uh, sorry. You were talking. That's about... great to hear. No, that's great to hear. I mean, I was, I was talking about, you know, emotional stuff and, you know, I think this is what, what we're talking about learning to learning to love ourselves. I suppose that sounds really cheesy, but yeah, well it shouldn't. And that I think is the problem is that especially, well, I don't know. I feel, well, I've heard this anyway in therapy too, that my, my therapist has said like a lot of times like men, oops, in particular, uh, that men in particular don't use certain words and don't do things that they should. Uh, and I think that's one thing. So I try to tell the men in my life that I love them a lot, uh, whether friends or, you know, relatives, some relatives, uh, and, <laughs> and I think, but yeah, that's true. I think that there's this ridiculous, well, I don't know if it's universal, but definitely I know growing up in in the States there, they, at the time that I did, there was this whole type of masculinity that was just like, you must be a man, like mm. in that voice. Um, <laughs> and it's bullshit. And I think it's, I think it has done lots of damage. Um, so anything that can be done to un, unman yourself in that way and reman yourself in, you know, a more, uh, what's the word? I want to use a word, uh, 
that is like all encompassing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, kind of way. I think that's a better, a better way to be. I think you're great at doing that with your lyrics. I think that I didn't realize at the time, but looking back on it, you know, I think uh, your lyrics on all the motion city records do have that feel, do have, you know, that the, there's it, it in touch with sides that maybe growing up as males with told not to, hmm. not to be. Does that make sense? That's interesting. Yeah, that's cool. Thank you. Uh, I, I don't, you know, obviously that I don't think that was on purpose. Well, it wasn't on purpose, but I wonder if that is due to the fact that there was no outlet for those feelings growing up. So maybe this was the place I had to put them. Mm. And I'm if that is the case, then I'm so glad, you know, I'm not glad that whatever happened happened, but I'm glad that I was able to put them there for people to hear. Did you notice that your crowd... That your, that your audience has been, you know, the, the gender divide has been pretty healthy. Yeah, that's been great. I think, and, and I feel that, yeah, I'm trying to think. Um, I feel, well, I don't know that I have a very good barometer for what that is other than just seeing people. Yeah. Um, but I think so. I don't know that they were over, you know, I, I, you know, unless I had numbers in front of me, I couldn't tell you exactly. But I, I do feel like across the board, it seems like everyone, you know, regardless of how they identify, the people that have come up to us and talked to us, um, if there's one thing I, well, no, you know what? There's been some jocks that are just like, I remember, I still, I've told the story so much, but I remember some dude came up to me once and was like, oh man, your song, like, let's get fucked up and die. That just meant so much to me and my bros, like, you're not drinking. And I, and I, you know, and, and in my head, I was like, that was the exact opposite of what the point of the thing is, but totally valid because that's what you took away from it. Great. But mm -hmm. most of the people who like Motion City are not that. Mm -hmm. I think that they, there's something that they relate to or that they gravitate toward and th their feelings feel represented in some way. And if, yeah, and if anything, that is what I am most proud of in being a part of that outfit uh, is that we were able to make people feel less pain for a moment, you know? 100%. Um, you pretty much summed it up there. But uh, something I think about is I think it's helped a lot of people to be introspective and be in touch with that side of stuff you know i think i could do with a little less of it i think it, it would help others around me these days uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah to be a little more <laughs> introspective and think of others instead of just reacting and going like oh what did i do wrong how did i screw this up and like no it's not <laughs> always you justin it's uh sometimes it's it's other factors uh so absolutely. yeah gotta work absolutely well justin it's been seriously a, a total pleasure chatting to you thanks thanks for you know being up for this yeah well, thanks. I was just, I feel like I've been trying to just sort of react to what is said instead of like, I know I wrote down a bunch of things that I didn't even talk about, but, but I think it's important to be prepared yet listen to what is being said and react to that as opposed to trying to fit in things that you might want to say. You know, I, I agree. Every time I try and do that, if, if it's an important conversation or if it's with like my boss or work where I'm trying to say the right it, when you in my experience when you try and say the thing that you've prepared sometimes mm -hmm. it comes out like a fart it doesn't yeah. feel right <laughs> you know you know what i mean 
No, I don't know if I know exactly what you mean, but I'd li- I'd, I'm going to use that analogy somewhere in the future. Uh, <laughs> Is there anything yeah, you've written think, down that I, you do want to talk about? No, I think I was just going to just mention something. Like it, 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 it's more that I never plan anything. So sometimes I get derailed and I'm just kind of way out there. And and for some conversations, that's not good. And for some, they are. And so I just, I've been in the habit of at least trying to write down a few things just in case, mm. um, which mm. I think is just for me to better learn how to communicate with other humans. <laughs> I sound like a robot, but that's... <laughs> you know understanding one's self and then figuring out how to better oneself slightly over time i think is a good thing or maybe i'm fine i don't know do you know what i think is really cool is that you know for me as such a big fan of you and anyone listening to this fan of you it's like we're all on the same we're, we're all human you know what i mean we're all learning to try and better ourselves and i think that's something that everyone can connect with i think that's really powerful trying to do a little bit each day not not enough people uh, it, it sucks because it's like you're only ever ready to hear what you need to hear when you're ready to hear it and i think my entire life this idea of just do a little bit each day and it'll add up over time and especially in the united states that is like an unthought of idea like everybody wants what they want and they want it immediately and fuck you if they can't get it i mean to some degree i think that's a human thing, but especially in the country I live. And I think it, you know, on all, on all sides of everything, it's just like, do the work, do a little bit each day, get a little better. And eventually it'll all make sense. Totally. Totally. And I've just got to ask just before we go, mm-hmm. um, you know, with this EP, it's, it's, it's fucking awesome. I mean, what's your, Thank you. I like compliments. What's your unfiltered uh, feeling on it? right now it's it's difficult well okay let me say this i i love the songs on there i love how it turned out i really loved making it getting to work with brett gerowitz as a producer that was awesome um getting to play with you know the people that i had to play with like bill mcshane uh brian diaz and tony thaxton um that was amazing. And I think, sorry, sorry to interrupt. I did not yeah. know that Tony played drums on it. Oh, he did. Yes. Listen again and you'll, <laughs> and, and I you'll didn't know that it. Brett produced it either. Wow. Yeah, no, it was really cool. And like, I had this whole idea to make a, 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 a full record and I was going to record, you know, the plan was to record five songs and only put four of them out. And so I was going to make a record doing like two or three sessions and then like, kind of mixing them up and then you know i only got the first one done and then everything closed down and i was kind of holding on to that idea of doing it that way and brett right away was like dude you just got to put this out as an ep it's great it works great and i was like no i want to stick to you know my idea and then again chelsea who i mentioned before with the matches like we were talking about stuff and she just said um she's like you know well I'm paraphrasing here, but she basically said, like, it's a privilege to get to do what you want to do whenever you want to do it. And I thought, like, oh, yeah, I'm basically picking a fight with the universe right now, trying to bend it toward my will. Um, and that's not going to happen. So then once I you know, had enough time, I finally went back to Brett and said, OK, you remember that idea you had like six months ago? L- let's do that. Uh, <laughs> and so it's just basically letting go. I think 
yeah, if, if, if I've learned anything, it's about not being so rigid about my original ideas and just being more fluid and like watery in terms of being able to move with whatever's happening, uh, which I'm not good at, but I'm, I'm getting there. And I don't think I answered your original question. Like I, I love these songs. It, it's just, I'm still getting used to the idea of how it's happening. But once I, you know, once I figured out, I guess once I surrendered to the idea of what, I guess just what everyone is going through, mm-hmm. I don't know why I'm just such, you know, I think, I think this says more about me and like my, my idiot head and just like pushing through regardless of like what is happening around me. Um, uh, but yeah, but once I surrendered to that idea, it's like, oh yeah, I just focus on this little thing. Okay. It's, it's much smaller. It's easier to manage. I think people like this stuff more. I'm just so stuck in my old ways that it's like, I want a full length record. I want it to be like this and that. So, but yeah, the end result is like, I'm really happy with this. And I, you know, I have no idea. I don't, you know, whatever. I hope people like it. Um, you know, it's very, it's especially with Tony playing drums, but it's very motion city, at least these, this selection of songs. Uh, although there's a little, there's a little piano in, in one of them. Uh, uh, thanks to Bill McShane. And, and I got to say too, these guys like this. Okay. Sorry. I know I'm going over, but Tom Waits, he's like the, he's the epitome for me. Right. And not that I want to sound like him, but I want to eventually get to a place where I can be like, Oh, you know, that's my Ardo. And that's my whoever, like, uh, I want to get these people and put these people together on this song. And then on that song, let's get uh, this guy and that gal. And, you know, um, and I was able to do that a little bit on this, on this EP. And I, and I don't think, I don't think any of these guys really played any of the stuff I wrote for them. I think they all took what I did. And I did tell them like, Hey, just use this as a blueprint, just do your own thing. And, and they did, and they took what I did and they made it way better than it was. Uh, and, and, and Bill is responsible for having, there's like, I, I think the, uh, the first song, um, was actually way shorter. And he suggested we go back to that hook, the, uh, the repeating part that I'm just dying to know, I'm just dying to know, I'm just dying to know. Um, Cause it was supposed to be much shorter. So that was, I have him to thank for that. We figured out how to work that out. We had like one two hour rehearsal or three hour rehearsal before we went in, um, which was also really fun to just like slam it out and see what happens. But, and being able to play with people in a room together, that was so great. Uh, and that whole thing, ex- that whole experience started with, uh, panic stations with motion city. Like I had a lot of fun just being in a room with these people. So I wanted to do that for this thing. Um, and then also Bill is a great piano player and he played on the last track illumination. And so we kept, we kept referencing home sweet home by Molly crew for some reason, but <laughs> it doesn't really sound like that song, but I just like the piano, like the sort of sentiment, but I think yeah. ours is a little less cheesy. I don't know. Um, definitely but we both <laughs> we both grew up listening to Motley Crue uh, <laughs> it's so yeah. cool to see you excited yeah oh no and it's, it's not that I'm not excited ever but it's just it there's a t- <sighs> like look I still feel like there is more music to be made with Motion City and we send things back and forth every once in a while but everybody's kind of doing their own thing so it's hard to like there's no like there's no like hub. There's no, you know, without the constant machine of like, we must do this and to do this and to do that. Uh, 
it's hard to get things going. Um, and I think getting off of the machine was good for all of us emotionally and mentally. So to get back on the machine seems really pointless and bad for us. But I don't know. I still, it, there's like a bunch of demos and a bunch of things for Motion City that I, I would love to record at some point. But being able to, and with that band, oftentimes it's like some songs I would only write the lyrics and the melody to, and then I'll just whip up something when we, you know, record. Um, but with this stuff, I, it, it's just, it's been a lot of fun and it's been really hard because I'm not, I kind of know how to play guitar and I, I, I can write a song like a, you know, <laughs> vocals, melody, words, and the structure, but I don't understand drums. I don't know what bass is supposed to do. I don't know these. I can't write a harmony to save my life. Uh, and I can't play piano. So, but I can hire people who are really good at taking my ethereal ideas, uh, like, you know, which I totally stole from Tom Waits. I heard him, like, there was an interview where he said something like, he'll he'll tell somebody to, to play like their hair's on fire or to be more watery. And I, and so I, I use things like that. And I'm like, oh, like, just like, I can't, I can't think of anything right now, but just like, mm, like you're in a frozen tundra, but you've got to act like it's really warm, play like that, you know, or whatever. Uh, and then they'll take, and I don't know, maybe it's a disarming thing. I don't know. Maybe it confuses yeah. them and then they just do whatever they're going to do anyway. But it's just really fun to be able to get, to be able to come up with everything on your own and then have other people interpret it and then do it. Um, but I guess that's what we did with Motion City. Only I was doing just just doing. My, I was only responsible for my part. I wasn't responsible mm. for the whole thing. So I guess mm. that's where the only real difference is. And if I have my way, I will eventually, you know, steer further and further away from Motion City territory as I keep making music under my full name. Um, I think for me, you know, as long as you can feel free in what you're doing. You can't lose. Yeah. Um, Which I just, I feel like I wish I could play you these songs. Cause like Josh has some really great songs uh, and Matt and Matt's got some too. Like, and I think I've got a handful, like we have a, a bunch of motion city songs and like, I can see them and I'm like, ah, oh, like it would be so cool to record these. Amazing. Um, Amazing. Well, isn't that, know. isn't that nice knowing that like there will be a time when that comes, you know, that, that stuff's to come, you know, there's something to look forward to. I, well, I don't know that it is going to come. I just know that it would be really cool, but we just can't all seem to sync up. And, you know, I, it's like some of us get excited at certain times and then some of us have too much work or whatever, you know, yeah, it's like, yeah, just, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. but maybe that's just what happens. And I also like, fuck, if, you know, once the world can have shows again. Like I, I would also be fine every, you know, five years or whatever, what I, whatever it is, just going out with motion city and playing some shows and just getting wild like that, that, that would be great. Like that, the fact that we were able to do that right before the pandemic hit, like that was really, that was the most fun I've ever had on a tour. Cause I felt present cool. and there yeah. was no pressure to do anything. Like we didn't have to write a record. We didn't have to do anything. We were just having fun Yeah, and people were still interested in us, you know, totally. Because yeah. like four years is a long time for, I know it's not, but it also is uh, in terms of music. A lot can change. I think a lot for a lot of Motion City fans, you know, you're, you're the band in ice like Austin Powers. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think that power will always be there. Well, let's hope we don't fuck it up. 
You can't either. Sorry. It's impossible to. You can't. <laughs> Sorry. I got to work on being more positive. That's a whole thing too. Uh, Brilliant. I realized that I, apparently I'm not, that I, I'm kind of negative and I didn't realize that. I still don't know if I believe that, but I I don't want to get into it, but I recently did like a neuropsych test and uh, and it revealed a lot of interesting things. I was hoping that I would be told that there's something wrong with my brain which would explain my behavior. Unfortunately, that's not the case. But even that sentence is ridiculous. Like, (laughs) I should be, fortunately, that is the case. Uh, He just said, like, I've never met anyone who's as hard on yourself as you are. And I thought, that's so weird. Like, I don't feel that I am, but it must be so deeply rooted in me that I'm not even aware of it. Mm. And that's... Mm. I don't know. I think I think that there's an analogy here, which I think for a lot of humans, especially people who identify as white males, I think that there's a lot that can be that needs to be undone, unlearned and unraveled uh, in order for us as humanity to move forward. And so I'm hoping to do my part and to continue to do my part uh, in that. Uh, And I guess I don't know. Maybe that's a good place to end. Absolutely. Well, just honestly, I, I feel like we could we could chat for a lot longer. I mean, at least yeah. I could on my side, I could. <laughs> uh, I don't think time wise I can, but I definitely <laughs> enjoyed it. And I guess no, next totally. time, you know, maybe next time I can just ask you questions. Maybe that's we can Deal. do it that way. Deal. Okay. Deal. So that's Justin Courtney Pierre on 101 part time jobs. It feels so good to say that. Thank you for listening. We're not far off 101 episodes. Got something fun to announce then that that you'll be able to take home and have in a and have on your collector's shelves. I'm making that happen right now. Thank you if you've been sending messages. Shout out to Arthur for a lovely message the other day. Have a great rest of the week. Go well. Here's Cox Sparrow. I've been working all day for me mate on the side Running around like a blue ass fly I've been working, yeah I've been working all day for me mate Every blink minute I've been on the go Up and down the ladder like a fiddler's elbow I've been working, yeah I've been working all day for me mate This is a Mighty Moon Media Podcast I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.